Epic gumdrop, sweeter than slapping on a helmet and smashing some cardboard. Hello, Jeff. Hey, James. This week, we're going to start at the letter G, and that means we should warn listeners in advance that we'll have some Canadian content for you this episode when we hit ice hockey. Ice. You can tell Americans made Mm. this list because they said ice hockey. Got to clarify that hockey. Yes, because in Canada, there's a hockey, and then there's also things we never talk about. (laughs) Hey, that sport your daughter played in grade eight. That's the other hockey. Yeah. So if you're sensitive to Canadiana, you should probably switch podcasts now and... uh, As always, if you want a list of titles we're going to talk about today, click on the link in the show notes. And there's a lot to cover, so let's grab our rope, put on our cleats, and get started. What a tease. I like that. That's beautiful. Hint of things to come. Now, uh, what's our first sport? I'm assuming it's going to be something that's very manly, very burly, a lot of contact. Like I'm thinking sport. Let's talk sports. Golf. Sorry, what? This is another family's games I had no idea about. Game using very specific clubs to hit a small ball, really accurate distances from different terrain types, wind speeds, wind direction, blood to alcohol ratio. <laughs> it seems like a complex sport, and in our top 10 list of sports, most represented Board Game Geek's listings, it comes in at number six with over 310 titles to choose from. So what does the world of golf board games have to offer in terms of simulation? The highest ranked game in the family, besides a golf version of Spot It, which I'm not even going to count, is The Front Nine. It's a 2014 game, 45 minutes, and about two to four players that plays as follows. The Front Nine is a card game where players compete to build the best nine-hole golf course with a balance of challenging par, scenery, and facilities. The course cards depict each hole, pars three, four, and five, and after paying the land and resource costs for trees, water, and sand, they are laid on the table to depict the actual layout of the course. Each player develops a course from clubhouse to first tee and from green to following tee, etc. Each hole has a differing topography, which constrains tee access and green exits, which results in each player's course snaking around the table. Players must manage their finances carefully to enable their courses to generate an income to ensure they can afford the ever-increasing land costs and resources required to design and build each hole. The winner is the player whose course design best links back to the clubhouse, has the best design, bunkers, woodland, and water hazards, and optimizes the use of the natural environment. The front nine has direct player interaction and competition and an economic engine with an interesting spatial aspect where careful thought is needed for card purchase and placement. Yeah, I'm going to actually say this. When you first said the name of this Mm -hmm. and that it's golf, I thought, oh, this sounds terrible. I would play this game. (laughs) Seriously. When I was a kid, one of my favorite games on the PC, the personal computer, uh, which we had a CGA monitor with like four colors. That must have been like an 8286. Uh, It might have been. Yeah, it it was a... Something like that. My brother knows. I don't know. But it did have, we did have a copy of Jack Nicholson, course uh, designer, and you could build epic, epic golf courses. I do remember that game. Ah, it was phenomenal. And I don't think I golfed as much as I played designing courses. Wow. So this, this is a card game that I, <laughs> I have to go find now. I have to go seek this out See, and buy a copy. As much as I love bureaucratic games, like this sounds more like about running a business and less about playing a sport in board game form. Yeah, for sure. That's what makes it good. <laughs> Because the sport in this case is golf. You heard that, right? I, you know, but and I also feel like I would enjoy this more if I had a working understanding of golf, which I do not. Mm. Like, I do not understand it at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I like it, though, that they emphasize direct player interaction and competition, though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got to burly that up at the end there. 
I don't know how you have the direct competition when you're designing your own course. So that's the thing I want to check out. You get, it a, sounds, you get a punch the other player. Maybe that just has to do with the availability of resources and such. I do not know. I want to play this. It does sound intriguing though. Like it's, but again, I don't even understand golf, so I kind of feel like I need to to play this. Well, you you hit the ball, yeah, into the hole. I, you know, again, it's one of those things. I see white lights that start glowing and that weird high pitched sound that starts every time I have to people explain sports to me. I black out for a bit. That is true. Yeah, that is true. Salt. It's crazy. And, and yet you chose to do an epic summary of every sports game. People might notice that all of the histories I've done are of things I'm actually not interested in, which is interesting because I think I'm trying to make myself interested in it, or I think, why don't, why am I not interested in are this? Are you just trying to make yourself interesting? No. It's not working. No, there's no. <laughs> hey, James. Okay, so that's, that's the highest ranked golf game. What's the next highest ranked golf game? Golf Profi. Sorry, sorry, what? Golf Profi. Like, Golf Pro Fee. At least that's what everybody conjectured on the Board Game Geek of how it's probably said. It sounds like a rejected name for an Apple device. It, that's what I thought, yeah. 2002 game from designer Albrecht Nolte. Players roll a variety of dice as they play across a golf course board covered with a hex overlay. Like, at first glance, it appears to be an expansion for a train game like Age of Steam or a war game map with the use of polyhedral dice to determine the outcome of your game. I actually couldn't help but find this one kind of intriguing. Like, it looks like a war game with a bunch of... It's like, are we playing uh, an RPG here? It's it's golf, I guess. There's no D6, so it's not just a okay. roll and move. I'm, but again, my lack of love for the sport might be a hindrance to me, uh, understanding slash enjoying this fully, but it does seem like a solid attempt at simulating golf as a game. Right. As opposed to running the golf course. Now, I know what you're saying. Surely Avalon Hill must have brought us to statistics-based simulation of PGA golf. That's what where everybody's craving. In 1981, they published Pro Golf. They're not messing around with that title. Based on the description, it looks like they are trying to live up to the reputation of all the games in the Avalon Hill sports line we've looked at throughout our board games sports series. Here's a description for that. Each player has a player card that models the performance of a PGA golfer, and the table uses a course booklet, which models a famous course. The first two were Augusta National and the Pebble Beach Golf Links. Each shot, the player rolls two dice and reads them low number, high number, and checks his player card to determine the result of the shot. LL equals long left, SR equals short right, etc. The result is checked in the course booklet to determine where the ball landed, and the club, i.e. the column on the player card, F-W-L-I-M-I-S-I-C-H pitch, S-D, that will be used for his next shot and any penalty being the rough tree, sand, etc. Occasionally an option will be given to the player to lay up or go for the green using a longer club. If a number comes up, the player is on the green, and the number determines the distance left on his putt. For putting, if the number rolled on the putting column is greater than or equal to the distance left to the pin, the putt is good. Otherwise, the putt is badly missed, which checks another second putt card to determine the length of the next putt. The second putt is assumed to always be good. Record the score for the hole. Repeat 17 more times for the entire round. And I'm assuming repeat 17 more times is not a joke. It would not be. It no. sounds like a punchline to something, but it's not, again, no idea. Uh, I'm not proud of my golf ignorance. I hope that if you're a golf fan, you're nodding your head and thinking, that sounds like fun, or shaking your fist at me angrily. Uh, we're not interested in any other like tepid response. No, I we, want either of those. We want extreme reactions, for Absolutely. sure. Yes. And now you're probably just wondering, you know, how old is the oldest golf board game? Will it be Milton Bradley's Golf from 1890, which beat out Parker Brothers' popular game of golf from 1896? No. It will be the game of golf from 1881 from the McLaughlin brothers. Now you figure the McLaughlin brothers would be the perfect people to publish the first golf board game. I guess so. Uh, which led me to the internet in search of the history of golf. While the sport goes back hundreds of years, my old friend Wikipedia notes that 
1880, England had 12 courses, rising to 50 in 1887, and over 1,000 by 1914. The game in England has progressed sufficiently by 1890 to produce its first open champion, John Ball. The game also spread further across the empire. By the 1880s, golf clubs had been established in Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and South Africa. Singapore followed in 1891. Courses were also established in several continental European resorts for the benefit of British visitors. So the timing of the birth of board game golf makes total sense. The late 1800s are a time of innovation in sports, and board games were quick to capitalize on these popular trends. So we saw that in a bunch of the other ones, and yeah, it's it's interesting. That time period is just an explosion of stuff. One thing I've noticed when we, when we read these old titles mm-hmm. is that Parker Brothers was way better at marketing than Milton Bradley. Because <laughs> Milton Bradley games are always called like, hey, let's just name it what it is, it like golf. Yeah. Whereas, whereas uh, Parker Brothers... The popular game of golf. Well, I think Milton Bradley was first to market, so they're just like, we got like, it. Golf. Sports, badminton. <laughs> Biking. Yeah, it's it's weird. And you yeah. do see this kind of curve. I think it, what happened is that as the obvious name runs out, you start seeing all these really bizarre, in every single sport, mm-hmm. these, these attempts, they do things like the popular game of, the game of. Well, that's how you know you're following a trend in a board game, yeah. right? You know? Like I expected a few years ago, you could go into a, a board game store and find the popular game of zombies. Exactly. No, it's true. If it had this been the 1890s, that's absolutely what you would have got. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's okay. So golf's a weird sport. I mean, I guess it's popular, but whatevs. Oh. Could you give me, like, I'm, I'm looking for a real sport, you know, that pits... Man against man. Uh, well, this next one's going to do it, right? Yeah, it's totally going to follow this okay. exact same timeline and everything. I'm ready. Except it doesn't uh, follow <laughs> any of those things. Greyhound racing. Doesn't. Like, like buses? Absolutely buses. Yeah, it's like a kind of a road warrior sort like of. Mad Max type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah merge all those things. and it's, it's, You y- get the Tina Turner uh, minifig. Yes. <laughs> miniature that you put inside the Thunderdome. Combined right? with speed. Yes. So, and you get Greyhound What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Sorry. Every reference ever. <laughs> Greyhound racing. <laughs> Apparently it's a sport and uh, it doesn't really take off until the 1920s in the U.S. And the board games reflect that. It follows along again. It's interesting to also note that a lot of the games listed in this game category are from this time period. Spin and move, roll and move, play cards and move. Uh, the top ranked game for Greyhound racing is simply titled Greyhounds. 1985, a 90-minute game for three to four players that emphasized wagering. Sure. Yeah. Why why go with sportsmanship when you can go with betting? Absolutely. Maybe that's the real sportsmanship here. Players play secret bets and then race their greyhounds in a series of three races, each one longer than the previous one. Players have sets of number cards from which one is selected and simultaneously revealed each turn. Only the greyhound with the highest number showing will move, advancing a number of spaces equal to the difference between the highest numbered card and the second highest. The player with the most money after the three races wins. Interestingly, this title was brought to us by designer Bernard Brunhofer, uh, part of the part of the alias Michael Tumelhofer, perhaps best known for the game Stone Age. Greyhounds was a 1986 Spiel des Jahres uh, recommended game, and I think that's as good as we're going to get for the category. You know, though, I got to say that's an interesting dynamic where you place the bets, so you might not bet on your Greyhound. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you're attempting to make your Greyhound lose, yeah. and you're trying to manage which Greyhound. Like, you, it's a lot of a player versus player where you're thinking, what are they going to play? How can I get that one ahead of that guy? Exactly. No, I actually think it does sound like a good game. Yeah, it's not terrible. No, no. I would play this for sure. And I mean, that's why I think it comes from a good designer. It Mm -hmm. comes like it has some interesting elements to it. Yes. And it's not roll and move. And, but literally that's as good as it gets. It would be quick to play too. 
Yeah. yeah. What, what did I say the play time one was, was on that? It was uh, nine, well, 90 minutes. No, that's not quick at all. I guess you play for a lot of rounds. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, again, it's one of those things you probably just. Or maybe it's 90 minutes because you spend 15 minutes per card There's reveal staring at each other. a lot of, yeah, all bluffing and deduction on each yeah. other. Um, yeah. I'm upset that there isn't a Santa's Little Helper game in this category as well. <laughs> there there might have been, but I, I, again, I, I went a bit board game blind. Yeah. I'm cardboard blind. I need some special glasses because I've been staring at the BGG for way too many hours. But let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so enough of this. Can you finally give me a sport? Where, Absolutely. Where just man at its most ultimate You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine that. And okay. I'm going to combine uh, the manliness, just <laughs> the ruggedness of the sport, as well as give you Reiner Knizia. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so, I was wondering why I hadn't shown up yet. Yeah, no, we've got a winner circle. And uh, it's a horse racing game because that's what the horse category was. Horse racing. Yeah. Uh, his 2001 contribution to horse racing games, uh, although it's a really a reissue and upgrade of his 1995 title, Turf Horse Racing. Wait, wait, wait. Mm-hmm. In 1995, they did not know how to name uh, games. Turf Horse Racing? I think Winner's Circle, a far superior name. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that sounds like a literal uh, translation of the... What, what I want to know is Turf Horse Racing, is that horses made out of turf that are racing? Or is so. that horses racing on turf? Mm, I would like to think it's horses made of turf. Or at, the, or at the end of each race is the loser turf. <laughs> Could be either. Hmm. Nothing good comes at the end of a horse race. Uh, here's the BGG game over gameplay overview for Turf Horse Racing. Winner's Circle being very similar in overall mechanics. Initially, players bet on, hor- on the horses as they are dealt from the deck. Then the horses race on the die roll, the course being 40 spaces. The cards and die have four symbols. Jockey's hat, boot, horse's shoe, and horse's head. The head is on the die three times, giving a 50% chance of being rolled. The cards have different values against each symbol, showing how far they move, when that symbol is rolled. But the number against the horse's head is always 1 to 7 for the same horse. So Raven Beauty has a 50% chance of moving 7 spaces. Lagoon Lady moves 4, and poor old Roman Emperor goes 1 space. I guess Roman is spelled as in, like, roaming the land. Roman Emperor. That's very Uh, important that you gave that information to our listeners. (laughs) can't miss out on good wordplay the trick and it's a good trick is that the other three values very wildly for the lower horses making them outside chances to win one lucky roll and roman emperor can leap forward 20 places so do you bet on the steady goers or take a gamble on the nags players take turns to roll the dice choose which horses move and with a good roll you move one you've bet on with a bad roll you move someone else's horse points are awarded first second and third home and the one uh and one of your bets is a doubler (laughs) <laughs> in a lot of sports, I dislike dice rolling. I just don't care for it. But it seems perfectly suitable for horse racing. It's one of those things. Like, yeah, dice. Uh, yeah. I think that absolutely. I mean, it's a game of chance. You're you're gambling. Horse racing is not really about, like, going and cheering on the horse and going, yeah, that's my favorite horse. I hope that horse wins horsiness. Yeah, no. It's like uh, I, w- I want a handful of dice, a ball of bourbon, and a handgun. I think that's how you play you're horse. You're forgetting your cigar. Oh, my own cigar, yes. yes. That's, how we, that's how we horse race over at my house, Jeff. <laughs> Is that your horse racing? It's, oh, it sounds like that's how it needs to be said. I don't know why. <laughs> in our minds. In cl- only our minds. If uh, someone was a big horse racing fan, they might want to see gameplay revolving around horse breeding, jockey skills, in addition to the obligatory betting. Mm-hmm. Or if you're cynical like me and you want a game like Horse Fever, 2009 game from designer Lorenzo Silva. Horse Fever transports players to a setting based on the noir novels of the 1930s where each player is called on to impersonate rich bettors that will use any means necessary to cause the bets they place to pay off. They will fix races, bribe bookmakers, make horses fall asleep, buy stables, and borrow money from the mob in order to gain victory for their bets. Horse Fever has three different game modes. Board game, family mode, 
and party game. These three different modes enable each kind of player to have a good time. The board game will enable expert players to discover a game based on an endless number of strategies. The family game will enable little players and families to get to know the basic game dynamics, learn about the mob while playing with a simpler but yet just as fun game. The party game will transform Horse Fever into a platform for a potentially endless number of deadly players and turn any boring party into the most entertaining event of the century. I added I, a few words. I, I, know, I do love the end, uh, how it'll turn any boring party into the most entertaining event of the century. Like, like there's some world where somebody's <laughs> like, oh, I was at Jim's party last week. Oh, it was terrible. But then... <laughs> he brought out Horace Fever. Is that is that a drug? Is that a new drug we're doing? Yeah. <laughs> So this, I think we can add on a few things. Will you end up with a horse's head in your bed? Will you have to beg for favors from a fickle and unforgiving mob boss? You know, those are things I want to see in an expansion. I think I think they might get sued for those two specific examples. Eh, whatever. You know, but unless they negotiated and they gave somebody an offer, they, they couldn't review. Uh. Even though I'm not a fan of horse racing as a sport, I actually kind of like the sound of this. Yeah. It sounds, it doesn't sound like a horse racing it's like, game, but it, it sounds cool. It sounds like a horse racing movie that I would watch. Exactly. Yeah. Forget yeah. that. Take that, Seabiscuit. 2009 also brought us Longshot, Chris Handy's design that in, quote unquote includes over 100 unique cards allowing players to combine strategies and resources for maximum control of the race. Will you buy a horse or two in the hopes of winning some of the purse or will you bet it all on the Longshot? The game also featured an oval board and little horse racing miniatures. And that one actually sounds like a very literal, again, uh, straight up horse race. That it doesn't had, had miniatures. Was it a Kickstarter? Uh, I don't think it was, <laughs> but it does not excite me nearly no. as much as a uh, horse fever. Mm -hmm. I, I got to kick that right now. You gotta, that's terrible. I was going to do uh, the same you, joke you and you beat me to it. <laughs> so which one gets the honor of being the oldest horse racing game listed in the BGG? That would be Steeplechase, a spin and move from 19, uh, 1862. 1862. It does not sound as n you know nearly as odd or interesting as 1880s Ascot, however. Wait, 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 wait. What? The name of the game? Is Ascot? Oh, you wait. Okay. Here's a description for it. This early game from Jean-Jacques featured a, uh, the board game company, uh, featured a very unique method of determining the winner of the race. The game itself was a large wooden box. It had up to eight horses attached to the box with wires, a hand crank on the side of the box attached to the horses with a variety of gears that was turned, resulting in a different horse winning the race. Players bet on which horse would indeed win the race. That's, That's uh, yeah. I mean, you got to give them a, so is that a dexterity game then? I don't even know. What that's the game of chance? It just chance? sounds like a betting game. I'm still confused as to the name. It like, sounds like something you, in a casino. They're like, no, they're... no, you can't play this unless you dress up. <laughs> what is that? A tie? No, sir. No. no. 1880, though. I, I thought that's, yeah. that's actually quite cool. That sounds like some weird automaton. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Eight, I, I think it's called Ascot because they're saying, if you can afford this, you rich. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They're around still today, uh, Jean-Jacques. And they I was do say make this game. No, uh, they're a British board game company, I believe now, and they sell very like I think they sell high end or you know really nice looking not board games but gaming stuff like mm -hmm. chess boards and fancy things like that. Right. So it does seem to still fit within the purview of. They should, they should bring back Ascot. Yeah, I don't think that's on their uh, their docket. But overall, horse racing was filled with uh, surprises for me. And uh, one of the big surprises is that there's not a single board game called Glue Factory. I, I don't know why. I, I looked I it up. I can't think of why that I is. actually did search for that. You really did. <laughs> I did. And it's not there. And uh, with that, let's move well, on I, to... I feel uh, there's one other surprise. No Reiner, Riser Knizia? Uh, Reiner? I can't say. Oh, didn't we have that at the beginning of Horse Racing? Oh, maybe. Was we I Winter Circle. Am I supposed to listen to this? Turf Horse. Am I supposed to or listen to this? Or whatever that is. Yeah, our horse yeah, okay. made of turf. Yeah, you're right. That was... Come on, man. That was all four minutes ago. Exactly. Oh... <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's move on to another thing. I've, okay. Just man uh, versus man, pure competition. Could be. This is all I want. Give it to me. I, I give think, it to me. Okay. If you picture Running Man in your head. Oh, that sounds awesome. Okay. Hunting. Wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm completely against so-called sport hunting, and I did not think I'd like researching this category one bit. I saw this and I was like, oh come on. Do I have to really go through all the hunting games? But it turns out the top-ranked game in this family is pretty okay. Tally Ho is designer Rudy Hoffman's 1973 game that asks, what happens when the hunter becomes the hunted? In Tally Ho, one player takes the role of the hunters and the lumberjacks. The other takes the role of the foxes and the bears. Both players hunt each other. At first, the forest lies peacefully under the face-down tiles. As the player turns the tiles over and moves them on the board, the forest awakens and the hunt destroys the serenity of the forest. The lumberjacks cut swaths through the, tree the forest to provide hunting fields for the hunters. The bears then use these same aisles to track the hunters and the lumberjacks and both sides hunt the ducks who are just trying to live in peace. The two sides are balanced with luck dominating the early game, but skill taking over at the end. Good hunting. Originally published by Spearspiel in 1973 as Jagunschlag, Cosmos republished the game in 2000 as Tally Ho ha, uh, slash hal, Halali, I think in Germany, as part of its Cosmos two-player series. I, I thought that actually sounds like that, a really good game for yeah. 1973. Yeah, that does sound interesting, although I feel for the ducks. I know. You Nobody know, like, likes what do the they ducks. do? You know, and also ducks just fly away, man. Yeah. You can fly. They're, they know, you know, they just say, Hey friends. Cause ducks are all inclusive and nice. And then dead ducks, ducks, 20 minutes of gameplay time for that one. And aimed at all ages, ages. It sounds like a fun family game and a nice cautionary tale. The next highest ranked game for hunting also finds an interesting way of not being a modern game about blasting animals. It's Mammoth Hunters, a 2003 title from the frequent collaborators of Alan R. Moon and Aaron Weissbloom. The description tells us that it's a cool, windy day in autumn, sometime around 30,000 years ago. For several hours now, a group of hunters have been following a herd of mammoths. Will they succeed? Will they actually be able to bring down one of these giant animals? Its meat would last the entire tribe for several weeks. Take on the role of one of these fearless Ice Age tribesmen and try to keep close to the mammoth herds. Of course, everyone else wants to accomplish this as well, so there will always be fights over territory. Who may stay? Who has to leave? Lucky for those with a club handy. It's listed as an area control area influence game, which makes sense when you look at the board and the wooden bits for this one. It uh, looks like light, light Euro, uh, three, five players, and it sounds like fun. Yeah. It's another one of those I was like, hey, I, I am so wrong about this category. I, yeah. You know, it's like, do to do and wow, okay, fun. Uh, you're being chased by bears, you're hunting mammoths. It sounds good. Uh, but before we leave, it's okay. worth mentioning the third rank game is uh, comes from designer Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games. Trophy Buck, a 2011 game, is exactly the kind of title I unfortunately expected from this category. The publisher tells us. Get that buck. Trophy Buck is a fast-moving game about deer hunting. The 12 custom dice represent deer. Push your luck to bag the most points, but stop rolling before too many startles end your turn. Will you bring home a trophy, or will you just be looking at tracks? Each game takes 10 to 12 minutes and can be taught in a single round. It comes in a durable camel bag. Great to take on camping or hunting trips. And everything about that game sounds utterly terrible to me. Uh, additionally, it doesn't sound like much of an advance from the oldest title in this family, Jagdspiel a hunting roll and move from 1825, which, you know, probably I think actually did a better job. Right. has a nice looking board. Uh, my biggest complaint, however, is that the card game Battle Royale 2000 uh, title isn't listed under this family of games. So that's based see... on the Battle Royale movie. Yeah. And yeah, book which and... involves uh, a lot of children. Just, you know, 
it's uh, fighting each other terribly. Modern, the modern version of it. Uh, Hunger Games. Hunger Pe- people, Games. People felt like the Hunger Games was ripped off of Battle Royale. Yeah. But that's... Similar idea. Sure. I won't yeah. say the same idea. But yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Hunger Games. Yeah, why Why don't we have the... That one's also not listed in this. I, it really should it be. It should be. I if we're going to be like that with hunting. But I agree. Anyway, it's, there's no time to dwell on the past. So to sum up, James is okay with children hunting each other. Mm-hmm. Less good with humans hunting animals. Absolutely. Very fine with animals hunting humans. Totally good Kay. with that. <laughs> Just my, wanted to summarize. My moral compass points in a different direction. Yes. Uh, but with that, it's time to lace up and skate over to our next sport, Jeff. Oh, finally. Yes. Finally. There's going to be uh, hockey. It's hockey. It's called hockey. 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 But it takes place on, on ice. Are you okay with that? Yes, it's called hockey. All right. <laughs> I was surprised by the top-ranked hockey game. I expected something that was statistics-heavy or based on player trades or something equally obsessive. Instead, I found the silly card game Slapshot, presumably inspired by the 1977 movie. Uh, they don't make a link, but uh, originally published in 1982, it's since been republished. And here's the publisher's description. Slapshot is a wheeling-dealing game for hockey nuts of all ages. Each participant in Slapshot assumes the role of a team manager. The object is to skillfully manage your team into the playoffs and then win the championship. During the regular season, you will be able to improve your team with trades and drafts. Injuries and luck will play a part, but it is your skill as a manager that will guide your team to defeat or victory. It's a card-based game. You just got little cards and you play around. I'm a little worried that that's the top-ranked game. Yeah, that's, that's that's exactly my thought. I, I went, scare me. what? A 1982 game is that okay? A 1982 game that sounds as, I mean, I'm sure that's lovely, but it's, it does not sound it's like... It's cute, but it does not seem like what I thought would be like, there. I could see a field hockey game with yeah. that description, but hockey? <laughs> hockey. Wait, wait for it now. Okay. The second ranked hockey game also surprised me. Oh, Rod Hockey. Also known as Monroe Tabletop Hockey, named after designer Don Monroe. It's a classic hockey game that's always seemed to have been around, which would make sense as it originally appeared in 1932. Due to Canadian broadcast laws, I will now recite the Wikipedia history of Rod Hockey from memory, followed by our standing and singing of the national anthem, followed by our having to listen to anthemic rock and or organ blaring in the background for the remainder of the podcast. Bear with us. The game of table hockey was invented in 1932 in Toronto by the Canadian Donald H. Monroe Sr. Don, like so many Canadians in the depths of the Depression, was short of cash for Christmas presents. He had a wife and three young children. That year, all the family pitched in and made the first table hockey game. This mechanical game was built out of scrap wood and metal and included a coat hanger wire, butcher's twine, clock springs, and the lumber came from the coal bin. Unlike current games, the game looked more like an early pinball game with one key difference. This was a two-player game. The playing surface had a peak in the middle and sloped down towards each end. The players controlled levers for the goalie and flippers for the players. The story goes that a traveling salesman noticed the game and encouraged Don to take the game down to the local Eaton's department store. Don did just that. The first game went in on a consignment deal. By the time Mr. Monroe got home, the game was sold and more orders were placed. And I have no idea how much of that is based on fact, but it's a good story. It's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad the design did not stay that way for Table Hockey. Yeah. As a... As it's gotten better. And then and then they improved it even more with bubble hockey. Yeah, exactly. Which is table hockey with a bubble over it so the puck could go crazy all over exactly. the place. Yeah. Um, and yeah, obviously still widely available today. Nicely done, Mr. Monroe. 
rod hockey I has do, stayed with I us. I do think every Canadian kid got something like that at some point for Christmas. Yeah. I definitely remember my Wayne Gretzky hockey, huh. which was a plastic version, and you could buy different teams. I definitely played my share of this. Yes. My uh, my brother, I got the Vancouver Canucks. Hmm. So this is like early 90s. I got the Vancouver Canucks. My brother got uh, the Calgary Flames because he was born in Calgary and huh. is a terrible person. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, my dad got the Canadians, which I think makes him even more terrible. I can't even... You can't I can't even, even deal with that. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was great. Did you did you get one as a kid? I did not, but I knew See, that I played it. it all over the place. That explains oh, it right I, there. I put my hours in. Did you? I put my hours in. That's and there's the always one rod. A lot, lot of street hockey, too. One rod would break. I won't believe that. Uh, and just not turn as yeah. well. And then you'd have to like force your friends to trick them into being that, that uh, side. Wow. You know, I can't remember which side's better. You just go over there. I, I can't. I imagine there's no loaded dice in any of your board games either. I'm not coming to your house anymore. <laughs> this just sounds terrible. Yes, because I win all the time when we play. But I have a question because I feel yeah. like we're missing something mm-hmm. out of this. Finally, at rank number three in hockey games, we get the stats-heavy Stratomatic Hockey from 1978. And I don't think we need to elaborate on it, but it's exactly probably what you wanted or, or played or needed. Yes. <laughs> Do you still play it? I've never played Stratomatic. What? No, I've, even the football version because I just, I, it's just, it's too long. Huh. It's if you can watch a game of hockey in That's less time true. it takes to play it, I just can't. Wow, I just can't. Hmm, that's me. Wow. Uh, well, there are a lot of hockey games bringing it in at number eight for the sports with the most games with nearly two hundred titles. I was surprised that the older games held their rank so well. Um, this could be due to the high number of variations on classic air slash ball slash rod hockey or the basic card game ver- versions. Uh, mostly, I think it's because the game that it invites a lot of dexterity game implementations. It's mm-hmm. like you know, uh, whatever I said, 1932, uh, Monroe hockey, he kind of got it. And then everyone went, yeah, we'll just keep it. We'll play that. Let's do that. Yeah. I should note that while there is an NHL category, there's not many games and a high overlap with the main hockey listings. So we'll just take off our helmets and move on to our next sport. Okay. Uh, wait, no, pass me on my helmet again, Jeff. I'm going to need it here. Uh, not the hockey one though. The one where I fly off the huge jump and land on my head helmet. Cause we're going to do motorcycle racing. So your everyday helmet, my everyday helmet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a sport with little board game representation, so let's jump right to the top. Moto Grand Prix, a 2008 title from designer uh, Gianluca Santo Pietro. Moto Grand Prix is an exciting game for all ages with fast, realistic dice-based system for playing multi-lap races quickly. Moto Grand Prix's beautiful, accurate models can lean and wheelie, and the modular boards allow a wide range of realistic circuits. Uh, the game doesn't sound too complex, and I suspect its popularity has more to do with the six 1x55 scale model bikes, each with a rider and special stand that it comes with. That can make you do wheelies and lean. I think that's that pretty awesome. Very much is, yeah, it's all about those minis. While there's a lot of older games listed, the first one with the definitive year is Speedway, the great motorcycle racing game. 1930, although it says you know, probably the 20s or 30s. While it might have only used a die and a spinner in its mechanics, the game has minis, the track is colorful, the box cover looks pretty cool, essentially nails the sport, and it makes it interesting. Uh, I imagine in 1930 you would have been like, that That looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. Sure, people have tried to make card versions, but it's hard to beat a little motorcycle miniature going around the board. And when it comes to getting into theme, that does it. With that, I think we're actually done with this one right away. There wasn't a lot there. No, I can't see too much variations or improvements. So let's move to a less arcane sport now. Okay. Mountain climbing. Yes. When you look up at mountain climbing as a board game family, there's a chasm between the highest ranked game and all the rest. K2, a 2010 title from designer Adam Kalusha. Here's how he approached this sport. 
K2 is a board game in which each player controls a team of two mountaineers trying to climb the summit of K2 and return before the other players' teams and before the mountains kills them. Every player uses an identical deck of cards. You use the cards to move your climbers on the route pictured on the gaming board or to acclimatize the members of your team. You can also set up a tent and wait for better weather. You will have to choose your path carefully as the other mountaineers can block your way and watch the upcoming weather, which can lower your acclimatization to zero, thus killing your climbers. K2 is a hand management game for one to five players with strong interaction and low luck factor, lasting up to 60 minutes. The theme is very well represented by the mechanics, including such elements as changing weather, lack of oxygen, and death of mountaineers. The result is an exciting match for gamers and non-gamers alike. It I like sounds that. Yeah. brutal, non-cooperative, and fitting very well within the theme of mountain climbing as a competitive activity. Uh, it also doesn't sound like a fun way to spend an evening for me. I don't know. I mean, it's just all like death and people no, like, dying. Hey, and I think you would like this game because yeah. uh, ha- having games with you a few times, you like the oppressive, tense games. It's, it's true. With death. On, and I feel on like... On paper, I don't. But you're right. I, I do. feel like playing this, I feel like it would get really intense for you yeah. and you would feel it. Right. And you would be angry I, when you'd people look are over and I would just be increasingly wearing larger amounts of outdoor gear. Yeah. I have a, like crampons and a pickaxe by the end of it. And I feel like this is another one of these games where you'd go, it's your turn, you know. To, to everyone else all the time because yeah. they're just staring at their hand and they're staring at the board and they're staring at their hand and they're staring at the board. Well, I'd be so cold rubbing my hands together <laughs> with my blowing on my fingers going numb. This to me, it looks like a prequel to uh, to Arctic Scavengers. It kind of, you know, that's actually these these are know, people going say that, into I'd... an Arctic uh, area on purpose. You know, I think that there's a kind of and I there's a movie as well about K two or something, wasn't there? Not so long ago, like several, but yes, yeah. There's just this this representation of kind of the egocentricity and drive that expedition style climbing is to me just crazy. It's it's almost more of a vanity project than it is about being a sport. Whereas I think like cooperative climbing or things like that might be more interesting. I don't don't know. know. I feel I have two things to say. One, yeah, climbing's fine if Archer is there. Yes, Uh, (laughs) and two. I think this this has the best line when you buy it, and your wife goes, "Why did you buy that?" Mm. Because it was there. It was there, and then just you put the game down and leave the room. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I again, I look for cooperative climbing as a uh, subcategory, right. and out of the seventy titles, only three were listed as cooperative. Um, Which makes sense because mountain climbing is one of the sports where you go with a friend yeah. uh, and then they far- start to slide. And you let the rope go. And uh, and you, you have a choice. Do I die with them or do yeah. they die alone? And they yeah. die alone is the only choice. Well, you already let all the Sherpas die, so you're probably going to let yeah, them die too. exactly. Um, how about the oldest title listed for this one? It's 1923's, another mountain title name, Mount Everest. Mm. It's a team-based roll and move. The board is a picture of the mountain from the uh, bottom to the peak, numerically dotted in a way that makes it look like a giant connect the dots. So actually, K2 does sound better the more I think about it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Roll and move. Yeah, no. Off a mountain. It literally looks like a big... I was I get, like, that looks like a coloring page I get in a restaurant. Caught, you get caught in an avalanche. Go back two spaces. Uh, yeah, no. So let's oh, yeah. end this episode with the uh, grandest competition of ego and nationalism that we have, the Olympics. It might be fatigue from looking at so many sports games, but none of the titles in the listing jumped out at me. Like, not literally, even like a, not no. even a high jump or a long jump or any of the other jumps? I think those might have been... There was, wasn't there a decathlon or something we looked at before? Uh, yeah, possibly. Decathlon. Yeah, yeah. I, so I think there was some good games in other areas, but for some reason, Olympics as its own thing. It's like I, NHL. They I was put just, the games there. I was just using sports with the word jump in them. Oh. Because you said jump out at me. 
I'm I'm too tired. I'm I very all of that. I'm very helpful here. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, the oldest title, which is the one we'll look at, is from 1936. It's called oh, Olympiad. Oh, good. Oh, good. 1936. Oh, it's going to get good, Jeff. Okay. The BGG description notes, This is a Swedish card game for two to six players from the 1930s themed around the 1936 Olympic Games. Each card shows an athlete, his nationality, which events he competed in, and his result. There are five athletes from each nation, Sweden, Finland, Germany... England, U Italy, USA, Japan, and Canada. One card shows the Olympic rings and serves as a joker. The players are dealt five cards each. On her turn, the player draws a card from the stock and discards one. The player who first has all five cards of one nation wins the game. And the most interesting part about this game is its place in history. Because when I think of the 1936 Olympics, I think of the 1938 film Olympiad by uh, German filmmaker slash propagandist Lenny Riefenstahl. And perhaps this connection is conjured by the Nazi party flag on the front cover of the board game box. It's worth noting that this was a reality of 1936 and not an endorsement. So the game isn't a political one. But like, the Olympics, like, like the Olympics itself, mm, it's a non-political thing, which yeah. cannot help but be politicized. Exactly. I, uh, yeah, I... <laughs> It must be one of those very few games that actually just legitimately has a swastika on the front cover. Do you know if Jesse Owens is one of the athletes depicted I, for USA? Oh, I didn't look. Because if not, it was con yeah, if it was that curved. would be a huge omission. Right. Yes. Mm, interesting. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. that's. I could see this one as a collectible just as a like little piece of history. You, very much. Because yeah. you look at it and you're like, whoa, it just is very striking. Although I think... You know, from the 30s, mm -hmm. there are probably much more offensive intentionally yes. made games. That's true. Yeah, I think just from a historical point of view, I actually mm -hmm. thought this was interesting because you're like, wow, that's just weird. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, on that <laughs> dreadful note, uh, between everyone dying while mountain climbing and us talking about the Nazis, uh, let's conclude part four of this series. <laughs> oh, let's end on a high note. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there's one small victory we should celebrate, though, Jeff. We uh -huh. made it to letter O this week. <laughs> If you've got comments or want to remind us of some Reiner Knizia sports games we forgot to mention this episode, click on the link in the show notes, or you can find me on Twitter at Epic Gumdrop. Until next time, I've been James. And I'm still Jeff. <laughs>